All right. Uh, you know, the podcast time. Podcast time. You know, the thing about a skinny tie is it's versatile. You can wear it to a number of different occasions. Where are you going you're, with this? You're still going to look good. <laughs> we are a versatile podcast here. We talked about mistakes. We talked about some nonsense. We're going to talk about a lot on this podcast, and that's one of the things that's really exciting about this. Oh, <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea where you were going with that. Follow that up. Um, right? Seriously. He's like, no, no, no. I got this. I got this. Uh, <laughs> versatile. All right. We are. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about anything and everything. We're talking about, like like John just said, uh, mistakes. We're going to talk about getting outside. We're going to talk about fighting boredom, essentially. And we're even talking about, like you said, sports. We're going we're gonna to shift it up a little bit. Today we're talking about the Blue Jackets. I know they're out of it now. But there's a lot to talk about still. We never really put a bow on the season, and we got a, in contact with a good guy to do so. His name's Rob Mixer uh, of The Athletic. He writes for also a website called First Ohio Battery. When you think of the Blue Jackets, Rob's one of the first names that kind of comes to mind. So I've uh, got a good chat lined up with him today because hockey, playoff hockey, wrapping up right now. we got the Stanley Cup Finals on tap. Uh, it's an exciting time. It's going to be uh, – it's even more exciting when you hear what he has to say about – kind of the in-depth stuff he's got a good a, a good handle on the behind the scenes kind of type stuff and that's that's what i found interesting about this and i think you guys might like it also all right the stanley cup final set uh the representative from the eastern conference a familiar face for blue jackets fans the boston bruins uh third straight year now that the uh jackets have lost to at least a team that made it to the final disappointing end in game six losing the uh series four to two we've had some time to decompress the ride is over. Uh, fun doesn't stop right here. Should be a busy offseason. And Rob Mixer from First Ohio Battery and TheAthletic.com joins us to kind of put a bow on things. Uh, Rob, appreciate the time. We're going to jump right into it. Interesting season for the Blue Jackets. There was kind of that cloud of uncertainty all year. Who would be traded? Who wouldn't be traded? They get into the playoffs in, I believe it was game 81. And then they knock off the President's Cup winners and the Tampa Bay Lightning. How would you evaluate this season? That's a great question. Um, I think, in in some respects, you can say it was a re- it, it was a resounding success uh, because they did some things that the franchise has never done before. They won a playoff round. They advanced to the second round, and they played games uh, in May, which they've never done before. So, in that sense, yeah, it was a successful year in terms of checking some boxes and kind of growing up a little bit as a franchise where you're at a point where you've successfully invigorated your fan base with three straight playoff appearances, but now they're at the point where they want more, and rightfully so. It's like you don't get anything for uh, losing in six games in the first round, especially after the way it it went for them in in 2018 with a 2-0 series lead on, on the road against the Washington Capitals, and then bowing out in four straight after that. So that kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths here locally. And then with the way things went, as you mentioned, throughout the course of the season with the uncertainty around Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin, um, and then further what they did at the trade deadline to bring in these guys that, that didn't, uh, that just purely brought more to their team than they'd had previously. I mean, a guy like Matthew Shane had been on their radar for years, and um, to to get him at this stage was kind of surreal because you kind of expected that maybe last year when they were uh, stronger down the stretch than they were this year, where their playoff uh, seed or their lock on the playoff spot was far from a sure thing. 
And so you mentioned the second-to-last game of the regular season. So there was a lot going on this year. And um, I guess the, on the other hand, you can say that it was a bit disappointing because there were there are a lot of things they could have done better in the second round against the Boston Bruins who are now going to play for the Stanley Cup, as you mentioned as well. So, you know, they, they had control of some games, and they lost control of it, I think, of Game 5. They fight back in the third period after playing an okay game to that point to to basically get rid of a uh, 3-1 uh, game and come back to 3-3 late in regulation and then just give it away on a bad play with about 90 seconds left. That was kind of their... That was the start of the undoing for them, I think. And, um, you know, so uh, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? On one end, you know, you get the, you know, you win a playoff series, you sweep the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're like, oh my God, like what, what, what should scare them now, right? And then you run into a bit of a, um, uh, I mean, that, Bruin series for them had to be so frustrating because they felt like they could have won it and probably should have won it. So going into the summer, they do have, you know, that uncertainty is still there. They don't know what's going to happen with a lot of these guys. They don't know what their team's going to look like next fall. Um, but, you know, I think the, the bar has been raised now permanently. We said that a few years ago when they made the playoffs for once, now twice in a row and three times in a row. Um, that's no longer the expectation here. It's, it's not to get in the playoffs. That's not good enough anymore. Yeah, the bar has definitely been raised for the future of the Blue Jackets. Now, you mentioned Sergei Bobrovsky. He was brilliant this year for the playoffs for the Blue Jackets. Now, in the past couple postseasons, he has had some struggles. He turned it around this year. How did he turn that around and make it such a dominant run this spring? Hey, that's a great question, and I think if he knew the answer to it, he would have liked to have it. Had the answer to it uh, last couple of years. Uh, you know, there's no. Sh- I mean, to me, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, he was really disappointing um, in his previous three playoff appearances. Um, I should say two here in Columbus, and I mean, to play as well as he played in the regular season, um, so many years here, and then go to the playoffs and just lay an egg um, and play really, really poorly. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of freaks some people out in the organization. It's like, do we have the right guy? Um, because you can do as much as you want to get into the playoffs. You can play as well as you need to. And you can win, you know, a few years ago, they won 16 games in a row to basically lock in a playoff spot in February. Um, and, and he was a big part of that. He played all but one of those games. Um, so now... You go into the first round, and you're playing the Lightning, who won 62 games and looked unbeatable, and they've got a 3 nothing lead in the first period, and your goalie looks like crap again, and you're like, oh, here, here we go again. Um, but I think just in the small microcosm of that first game against Tampa, you know, he was able to, to catalyze something for them where he made a big save in the second period and then made another one a few minutes later, and then they get on the board with a goal from Nick Foligno, and they're down three, three to one, and it goes from there. And they come back and win the game in regulation. I think that did a lot more for him than people understand. Um, you know, he had a lot on his shoulders all year long with people asking him, like, "What are you going to do?" And quite honestly, a lot of that is self-inflicted. 
Um, it's his decision to not sign here. It's his decision to go through the year without a contract for next season. So naturally, those questions are going to be part of the deal. Um, but I think as the year went on, he handled it better and better. And as a result, his play kept getting better. And this was a, on two fronts, a very important Stanley Cup playoff for him. Um, one proved to his teammates that he is the goaltender that he's been in the regular season. And two, to the rest of the league who's considering, or those among the rest of the league who are considering, do we want to give this guy a seven-year deal at probably $10 million per season or more? Um, and especially so if you're a team that fancies itself as a contender, do you want to give that kind of money to a guy who has not played well in the playoffs? And I think he answered a lot of questions this year in both of those regards. Rob, what caused Cam Atkinson to struggle to score in the postseason? He scored 41 goals in the regular season, but really struggled to find that same scoring touch in the playoffs. He did, and uh, I think, you know, he, he kind of got by in the first round because his line was playing well, and he scored a couple of goals. He scored an empty net goal in Game 3 at the sealed deal, and, you know, they win in four games, so, hey, you know, you've got a week off, you can reset, you know, get get back on the horse for the second round, and it just never happened. Um, he didn't look comfortable, uh, and, you know, there was a lot less ice um, when they played the Bruins as compared to when they played the Lightning. Uh, the Bruins are a really good structured, really good defensive team, and it forced the Blue Jackets to play a little differently than they did in the first round. So I think he struggled to adjust to that. I think the power play um, kind of had a a drip-down effect where when he's not going, it's not going. Um, and, you know, he has some opportunities. He has some looks that, you know, maybe in the regular season those go in. Um, but they didn't in the second round. And it, I mean, he wore it. He wore it really, really bad um, in the second round. And it, it's tough to put a finger on it, you know, because you're right. You score 41 goals and things pretty much go your way the entire regular season. Um, and then in the playoffs, it dries up. And that, that's tough because you're a guy in Cam Atkinson who your team relies on to score goals. I mean, 40 goals is a lot. Um, and to not have anything really from him uh, in the second round was tough because they had a lot of guys run dry. And uh, for one of their top players to not be finding the net, that, that, that's a tough ask. You know, a lot of the top players, we got to talk about the positive side of things. Seth Jones. The dude can skate. Lockdown defense. How important is he to this blue line group that includes some young defensemen? Seth Jones is, I mean, he means just about everything to the Blue Jackets. He is their best player. He is one of their leaders. And he's one of the best at his position in the entire NHL. And I think a lot more people on a national level began to see that in the playoffs. I mean, Columbus is... um in general terms, a big city. It's in the top 15 in the country. It's a big media market. But in terms of the NHL, it, it's not there yet. So a lot of people aren't naturally turning, excuse me, tuning in to watch the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I think having him on the stage he was on uh, showed a lot of people just how good he is. And I, I told him on this during the playoff, I think the biggest thing that he proved um, to, to a lot of people in the playoffs, is that there's no play he cannot make. Um, no matter what situation he's put in, 
whether he's playing five on five minutes against top players, whether he's playing on the power play, whether he's killing a penalty. Um, he can make any kind of play. He can make a simple play um, to take some pressure off, a chip off the glass, or an aerial flip out of the zone. He can make a clean exit pass to get going in transition, and he can score. I mean, he's he's the complete package, and um, he is the bedrock of just about everything they want to do, how they want to play, how they transition the puck. Um, he's, he's their guy, and I think that, um, you know, they're in good hands on the back end with him and Zach Lorenzi, Ryan Murray. Hopefully he's healthy again. Marcus Nudovara, and he saw guys like Dean Kukon come through in the playoffs and um, step in when they had a lot of injuries on the back end, especially in the second round. So um, they have a very good group of young defensemen, um, and we're not mentioning the old Wiley veteran Savard in there either. So, um, But Seth Jones is, like I said, probably one of the best in the world at what he does um, and drives the engine for what the Blue Jackets want to do. Speaking of young guys, Alexander Texier came in and provided a spark. The rookie added to the roster as the playoffs started, but then he found himself being scratched in that Boston series. What's the future look like for him? No doubt the kid has some talent, but he definitely went through some growing pains. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some definite growing pains there, and I think in the first round, there's a lot of adrenaline there because um, everything is going right for the Blue Jackets not in the first round, right? I mean, they... They were pushed a little bit, especially in game four, um, and they had to come back from 3 nothing down in the first game, but after that, I mean, they were totally in control, and it's a lot easier to play with confidence and and play loose and, and play free-flowing when everything is going your way, and I think we saw that with him um, in the first round. In the second round, things did not go their way right off the bat. You know, they, they they're, they're down one nothing eight minutes into game one, um, and they have a breakdown in overtime uh, to lose the first game, and they never really just got settled in the second round, and I think we saw, like you mentioned, some growing pains from that kid. I mean, I mean, he's got a lot of talent. They are very high on uh, They have watched him very closely play professional hockey in Finland. Uh, they've watched him play internationally for France, um, and they watched him step right in to the American Hockey League in Cleveland, where, where you guys are, uh, and not look out of place in one bit. And when they plugged him into the lineup in the NHL, he gave them a reason to take him out, honestly. And it was kind of a perfect storm when they're going through some issues with Alexander Wenberg, who just can't can't get his game on track for, for whatever reason. And uh, John Torello basically said, hey, with Wenberg, we are out of time. Uh, we cannot wait for him any longer. And that happened to time up perfectly with um, Alex Texier coming on the scene, playing seven games in Cleveland and looking like he can play. So, hey, let's plug him in the lineup and boom, away you go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, geez, there is so much talent to this kid. Um, he's a great player. He's going to be a great player. Um, I think they prefer him as a center over a winger. That is a position of long-term need for not just the Blue Jackets, but for any NHL team. So they will bring him along as a center. Uh, you know, there, there is a situation or a, a scenario in which he is not in the NHL to start next season. I think if that happens, that's okay. 
Um, but I think for him, his slate is going to be wiped clean in September come training camp, but he's going to have to earn a spot. Just because he played a few games, a few good games in the opening round, doesn't mean he's a lock for the opening night roster this fall. Um, I, I think some people might be surprised by that, but, you know, they, they, they see so much potential, they want to make sure it's done right. And I think plugging him in there, um, or maybe penciling him in as a quote-unquote sure thing for next season would be ill-advised. And I think they're going to take it, um, you know, case by case, day by day, and make him earn a spot just to get everyone else has to do. Okay, so now we're going to shift it over to the offseason. It's, it's going to be a busy one. John Davidson, he brought this level of stability to the franchise as the director of hockey operations. Now that he's left for New York, are they going to replace him? If they do, how do they do that? Uh, they will not be replacing that role. Um, I think they've been prepared for this possibility ever since it became clear that Glenn Taylor would be stepping down as the president of the New York Rangers. I think it's, I mean, it was in John Davidson's contract that if, if a senior level role with the Rangers were to materialize, he had a clause to exercise in his contract that he could pursue that opportunity. I mean, he's so ingrained in the culture and the history of the New York Rangers, both as a player and as a broadcaster, but 30 years of a, of a pre-existing relationship there. Um, so it, that's a great opportunity, really a no-brainer opportunity for him to take on at this point in his career. It's probably his last job. He's 66, going to be 67, so this is probably his last job. Um, and it was a, he, based on what he's built here in Columbus, it made sense for him to take that job with the Rangers right now. Um, he's got a GM that has really come into his own and earned a reputation as being fair, uh, as being aggressive and being fearless uh, in Yarmo Kekalainen. And um, he is more than capable of leading the hockey operations um, for the Blue Jackets. And he's built a good team around him too. So um, I think it's going to be a seamless transition as they go into the next, or basically into the summer or the draft, free agency, and then beyond, I think that what they've done here in terms of infrastructure, and this goes back six or seven years ago when J.D. got to Columbus, what they've slowly built in that time has put them in this position to be able to basically hand the torch to Yarmo Kekalainen and say, okay, this, this is really your ship now. Uh, and I think that that's going to be the best case scenario for them as they go forward. The obvious question centers around Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. Any clear picture on what they might do? What are the chances that they remain in Columbus? I think the chances that either of them remain in Columbus are probably as good as either of us earning a contract with them. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the writing's been on the wall pretty much all year long, and there's obviously a, a plan. Uh, we just don't know what it is. Um, and we're going to see that plan kind of unfold over the next two months. And this, I, it, it, in my mind, guys, this is the most compelling offseason in the history of the Blue Jackets because they have so many moving parts. Um, it would be very easy for a, for a lot of teams in this league to say, you know what, we took our shot, we made our run with these guys. Um, and they're going to leave. We might not be as good next year, but that was the risk that we took when we made that choice to keep them and add at the trade deadline and go for it. Um, 
I don't think the Blue Jackets are in that kind of a position. I don't think they can afford to uh, say to their fans, after what they just went through, after they caught the attention in the heart of the entire city and a large part of the state of Ohio, um, I don't think they're in a spot where they can say, all right, you know, we might, we may or may not make it next year, but hey, it was fun. No, they, they have to keep going forward here. They cannot take a step in the wrong direction next season. So I expect them to be active. I expect them to be uh, creative and aggressive, which is kind of what they've become known to be uh, under this regime. So there's going to be some things that we don't expect. There's going to be some things that uh, maybe uh, might, might surprise us in terms of who gets moved or who comes in. Um, and that, that makes me really interested as a reporter, as an observer of the club, to think, how do you keep this momentum going? How do you keep it going? Because you're not going to have these guys. You're not going to have Bob. You're not going to have Panarin. You might not have Matthew Shane. You're probably not going to have Ryan Dezingle. So that's four, four key guys that you're taking away. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, how do we keep the train on the track? Um, and can the teams around you in your division, who are very good teams, they're not going to feel sorry for you. Um, this is a division that could place five or six teams in the playoffs next year. That's kind of crazy to think. Um, so the Blue Jackets, to be one of those teams, have to make their team better than it is right now because come July 1st, they're going to be missing two, maybe three important pieces, and they've got to find a way to stay on course and continue building what they started here. So, I mean, guys, they're going to be tied to a lot of names. They're going to have their hands in a lot of things in terms of potential movement, and it's going to be a lot of fun. When you say they aren't going to feel sorry for you, are you talking about fans? Are you talking about the hockey community in general? Who does that refer to? Uh, that refers to the teams around them. Uh, you know, the, the Penguins, the Rangers, the Capitals, the Hurricanes, the Flyers, who have had, you know, a head coaching change, bringing in, bring in a veteran coach in Elaine Vigneault. They're not spending that kind of money on a head coach like that to not make the playoffs. So there are high expectations for pretty much every team in, in the Metro Division. Um, and there are three guaranteed spots for the playoffs in, in the division. And then there are the two wild cards. Um, so the Blue Jackets have to make sure that they are among those eight best teams. And I, you know, it, it's going to be really, really, really interesting because I, I just don't know how they can stay above that bar uh, without making some major, major changes. And I guess we're going to find out. And what do you think about John Tortorella? He did a great job this year, and he had his hands full. This might have been one of his better coaching jobs, and I mean in his entire career. Um, you know, he, he's had some teams that he could pretty much put on autopilot, and he's, he's, he's mentioned that kind of, kind of openly. He said, I've had teams with a lot of established players, a lot of established players who were driven to want to win a Stanley Cup, and I didn't have to say much to them. I, I just had to push a few buttons here and there at the right time of the year to keep them engaged. This was not one of those teams. There was all kinds of stuff going on right from the start of the season. And I really like what he did in terms of bringing all of that into the open. Not hiding from it. 
not turning away from it and trying to pretend like it's not there. Um, they sat down as a team in an open-air locker room multiple times throughout the year and basically aired it all out. This guy doesn't want to be here, or he doesn't want to be here beyond this year. This guy won't sign a contract with us. Hey, you guys, while you're here, are you committed to being part of what we want to do? And that was a conversation amongst players and coaches, and they laid it out on the table that as long as you guys are here, you're part of this, and we're all pulling the same rope. And they got that buy-in right from the start. I mean, it wasn't always perfect. And they had to bring it up again throughout the course of the year. And they had some come to Jesuses throughout the course of the year. Um, but the head coach kept it on. He kept it together. And uh, that's his job. It was a tough job. It was a really tough job. There were a lot of points throughout the season where this thing could have gone up in flames. Um, and for other teams, it probably would have gone. For other Blue Jackets teams, it probably would have gone down in flames. But these guys found a way to, to, to get in, which was goal, you know, goal number one, get in, see what happens. And uh, from there, they, they just kind of got better. It, I mean, right on through their lineup. They, they, had, you know, they got everything they could from everybody in the opening round. Um, and that was a carryover of the momentum that they built down the stretch. And, um, you know, full, full credit to towards and, and the coaching staff for what they're able to do. Um, because I can speak for myself in, in saying that I can think of at least three times throughout the year where I thought, all right, they're, they're done. Um, and there were some ugly losses and some really low points along the way, but each time they, they found a way to bounce back from that and uh, do something that they hadn't done before. All right, Rob, Stanley Cup Finals underway right now. Who you got? Oof, jeez. Ah, man. You know, having seen up close what the Bruins can do, uh, it's easy for me to say them. Uh, But I think the Blues are a unique case where, you know, they've got all this energy and all this momentum. Uh, They have all the right pieces clicking. Their power play is lethal. Their goaltender is playing really well. Um, and they just don't make a lot of mistakes, which makes the series really interesting to me because the Bruins are a team that don't make mistakes. They wait for you to make mistakes. And then the Blues are now this team that doesn't make mistakes. So it, it, I think the first couple of games might be a little weird to watch. They, it might be like a, maybe a, a staring contest, so to speak. But, uh, uh, you know, these are two really good teams, and, and probably the two teams that deserve to be here at this point, based on what they've done in the playoffs. So, uh, but if I have to make a call right now, I'm going to pick the St. Louis Blues. That's a good call. The St. Louis guy sitting across from me likes it. Uh, what's the over-under on the amount of times we're going to see that Bobby Orgol scored in the series? Oh, probably the over-under should be set at 30. <laughs> uh, Rob, appreciate your time. Any fun plans for the offseason for yourself down there, Columbus? Uh, probably going to play a lot of golf. You know, uh, we'll, 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 we'll start there and, uh, and see where it goes. Any courses that are your favorite down there? Oh, man, uh, a great question. I, I really like, uh, Worthington Hills Country Club. Uh, it's an old style private course, just about 15 minutes north of the city. Uh, small greens. 
but also there's a course a little northeast of town called Rattlesnake Ridge, which is a lot of fun to play too. A man who likes his golf, a man who also knows his hockey. Some great stuff there from Rob. Uh, again, you can catch him at the Athletic. You can catch him at First Ohio Battery. Really good stuff from him, especially like his insight on the front office, John Davidson, and just some of his contract negotiations and stuff like that. And you know, and his talk about who's going to be here next year and right. how you fill those holes. That's, that's, that's I mean, that's that's stuff that that's uh, what you get when you have that day to day interaction oh, with yeah. the, with the organization. So yeah, yeah, and just the general, you know, you know, watcher or viewer or listener. Like I don't, I did, right. I have no idea about that stuff. So good love to hear. hearing it. Good to hear. Hit him straight, my friend. We'll take. Take care.